0: Now, listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, the Week 15 recap edition of a wild stretch of games in the National Football League. It took about 15 weeks for a ridiculous week like this to finally take place, but it did. Capped off with Patriots-Steelers, which is what you're all here for. But first, as always, I am Alex Shane, here with my good buddy Rich Hill. Rich, have you recovered? You alright? hanging in there?
1: I have to say that Sunday's game between the Patriots and Steelers, it ranks... I mean, not the, it's not the best because just the, the magnitude of the game was not as important, you know. But that finish, how many other finishes can you think of in the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady era that could top that one? You know, I, I got the past two Super Bowls, of course, and then the Buffalo Bills game in 2009 when Tom Brady scored two touchdowns in the final 32 seconds or something like that. Other than those games, I mean, this was just the most exciting finish that you can think of. And cherry on top is that a win in the Patriots' favor. I don't know when I'm going to come back down from this high, Alec, because that was just an incredible game to watch. And it capped off, you know, they won the division. They're in the number one seed. What more could you ask for?
0: Oh man, totally. I mean, in terms of regular season wins, I'd say probably this one. Not in this order, but the Steelers game, the 24 point comeback against the Broncos, and maybe the goal line stand at Indy where uh, Ted Washington, Willie to stop things, Dominic Rhodes in the backfield in like 004. Those are probably your top three regular season games with just crazy finishes and and great things happening. It's funny because usually, I mean, this is the game that everyone's had circled on their calendar for months now. Everyone said. AFC Championship preview Patriots Steelers this game's going to decide who hosts who in a couple of months a couple of weeks excuse me in January and with that much hype and that much build up there's really nothing to do nowhere to go but down but this game would 100% lived up to the hype Patriots didn't look great but they didn't look bad, and they did enough to win, and crazy controversial ending, which we'll definitely get to. Tons to break down today, Rich, let's get right into it. But before we talk about the Patriots-Steelers game, uh, in general, just a wild week in the NFL. Any game you want to talk about in particular?
1: Yeah, well, there were two games of note, in my opinion, that we need to talk about. Both of them were with the the big underdogs of the year, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Los Angeles Rams. The the Jaguars beat the Houston Texans 45-7. to but then the Los Angeles Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, 42-7. The Jaguars and Rams came out of nowhere, in my opinion, this year. And if we're going to focus on the AFC right now, the Jaguars are clicking on all cylinders. They have a defense that's the best in the NFL. It reminds me a little bit of the 2015 Denver Broncos where they have an amazing secondary. A.J. Boyer is playing incredible. So is Jalen Ramsey but their defensive front line with Clias Campbell and uh, Yannick Ngawi, I believe is how you pronounce it, and then Malik Jackson. They just have so many players that can do so much that you're going to have to try and win by giving up fewer than 20 points on offense. And then all of a sudden, Blake Bortles is coming out of nowhere and being the best quarterback in the NFL for the month of December. Alec, when you see this Jacksonville Jaguars team They've put together three incredibly strong weeks in a row on offense. They've been completely banged up. They put up those 45 points without their top three wide receivers or their top running back. With the Jaguars breathing down the Patriots' necks and the Steelers' necks, for that matter, do you think that the Jaguars have any shot of winning a first-round bye in the AFC?
0: You know, it's funny, Rich. The Jaguars have the head-to-head matchup uh, tiebreaker with the Steelers, so they've got that going. So there's a potential two-seed there at least. They could easily steal the one seed if the Patriots don't take care of business at home. What's really funny is the Jacksonville Jaguars' next game is against the San Francisco 49ers, quarterbacked by one James Garoppolo, and I feel like that is their best chance to lose one because they finished the season against the Titans, who at that point will most likely be playing for their playoff life due to their loss this past Sunday at 49ers, courtesy of another James Garoppolo drive to get him to field goal range. So maybe this time next week, Rich, we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo doing the Patriots a favor from all the way across the country, taking the, tit- taking the Jaguars down and securing a first-round bye for the Patriots.
1: That would just be a beautiful, beautiful moment for the Patriots. And I will guarantee you that if that takes place, I'm going to write the very first article saying that Bill Belichick planned that. He did it on purpose. (laughs) He knew that Jimmy Garoppolo would lead the 49ers to a victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars to give the Patriots a first round buy for the low price of a second round pick that the Patriots get. It's a win-win. And so Belichick clearly planned that through. He knew exactly what he was doing. I am a little bit nervous about the Jaguars, though, in reality, because they have everything that really give the Patriots a lot of problems. They have a defensive front four that can really pressure the the, the Patriots. They have a great secondary. They have players that could potentially cover Rob Gronkowski. Uh, they, they have a very, very versatile linebacker core. They have some very good talent there in that defensive side, and so it comes down to whether or not the Patriots can stop the run, and... Uh, I don't think we've seen much of that over the past two weeks. Back-to-back stellar games. Kenyon Drake for the Dolphins last week, and then Le'Veon Bell this week. The Jaguars, in my opinion, are the worst matchup for the Patriots in the postseason.
0: You know, it's funny. I'm looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars' schedule over this past season— it's not their fault. They haven't though. The AFC South is just terrible. The Texans are on there. I believe their third-string quarterback, T.J. Yates. The Colts are on Jacoby Brissett. The Patriots' third-string quarterback. It's just not a very strong division. That's basically a bunch of wins they handed to them. They played the Arizona Cardinals and the NFC West, which those teams are have underachieved. The Seattle Seahawks. I don't know what's going on with them. Winning at Seattle. Winning versus Seattle. Excuse me. I think that was a home game. Even though beating the Seahawks 30 to 24 is a, an impressive feat. The Chargers. That was a an enigmatic team. The Bengals are terrible. The Browns are terrible. They lost to the Rams. They lost to the Jets in overtime. They've already lost to the Titans once this year. So I'm not 100% sure what to make of this Jaguars team. I Granted, I haven't seen that much of them this year because they're never on nationally. They don't really get the recognition they deserve. So maybe there's this just quiet team that no one's talking about. Everyone's talking about Pittsburgh and New England, the AAS Championship game. I'm with you, man. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars, when they make the the postseason run, They're already in the playoffs 100%. They're basically going to win the division, most likely will host a postseason game. They're one of those teams you might just not want to see, and maybe they're getting hot at the right time. However, I do have to bring this up because it's maybe ingrained into me as a football fan, and I have two words for you, Rich. Blake Bortles, how much can you rely or depend or expect from Blake Bortles as a postseason quarterback where it's a very different system?
1: Well, 2017 would be the perfect year for Blake Bortles to go 2013 Joe Flacco or whenever that was so 2012 true. Joe Flacco. He had, He's entering the final year of his contract in 2018. If he comes out there and just balls during the postseason, wouldn't the Jaguars just be forced to give him a contract extension? And that would just Bortles. be the cherry on top of, of 2017 would be a Blake Bortles, truthers, finally being able to come out of the woodworks and say, I told you so, all, all three of them. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, the Jaguars have the three seed. They would have an opportunity to host a playoff game, which would be incredible to see. This would be just an amazing turnaround for for Jacksonville. And they would host the, the sixth seed, which is actually a pretty curious race in my opinion right now because you have the Buffalo Bills, the Tennessee Titans, and the Baltimore Ravens all tied at 8-6. and six. And then you also have the Los Angeles Chargers. They just lost to the Chiefs this past week, but they are sitting at 7-7, seven and seven, and they do have an outside chance of reaching the postseason. Because, and this would be the most Buffalo Billsy way for Buffalo to miss the postseason, the Chargers have the head to head tiebreaker over Buffalo thanks to that certain game where the, the Bills decided they would bench Tyrod Taylor in favor of Nate Peterman, who threw five interceptions in the first half of the game. And if that were the case, if that were the case where, say, you know, the Baltimore Ravens get the fifth seed because they win out, they have a super easy schedule. I believe that they're playing the Colts and then the Bengals, so they should win out. They can go 10 and 6. They could be the fifth seed. The Bills, they have a, a more difficult road. They, they're on the road against the Patriots, and then they're on the road against the Dolphins. There is a very real chance that they go 8 and 8 or, you know, 9 and 7. That's a very real possibility. The Titans, they play against the Rams and then the Jaguars, so it's very possible that they finish the season 0-2. And that leaves the Chargers out there. And the Chargers, if they win their final two games or if they finish the season with a tiebreaker with the Buffalo Bills, then the Chargers get that sixth seed and the Bills miss the postseason. I would feel so bad for my my friends out in Buffalo that would have to watch their team miss the postseason. But is there anything more Buffalo than that that could take place this year?
0: You know, it's funny, Rich. We've talked ad nauseum about how this is the who knows 2017 season. Nothing makes any sense. No one knows what's going on. But if the Bills finish 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs – I'll feel a lot better about how things are Shaking out because that is kind of the narrative 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven missed the Playoffs and missing it as you said On a ridiculous coaching Decision because Tyrod Taylor is Playing as well as he's played for whatever That's worth. The Patriots see him In a couple of days in a game that is By no means a cakewalk However, it carries a little less Weight today because the Patriots beat The Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh To clinch the AFC East I believe, I'm wrong, correct me, it's the worst they can finish right now is the three seed in the AFC so that's their absolute lowest case scenario there what a finish where do we start offense defense special teams catch rule last two minutes what do you want to do with this game rich
1: (laughs) oh my gosh there's so many things we could break down how they overcame all their injuries how Rob Gronkowski was just absolutely an animal Le'Veon Bell came I mean he just produced whatever he felt like it Dion Lewis was a star after the injury to Rex Burkhead but let's start with talking about the, the New England Patriots offense. They they only got three drives in the first half, which is one of the lowest in the Bill Belichick era. It's very, very rare for them to only get three opportunities to score. And they put up 10 points, which all things considered, it sounds or seems like a, a low output, but 10 points on, on three drives is actually pretty outstanding. They they went toe-to-toe with the, the Steelers over that point, and they scored a touchdown right out of the, the halftime break to, to notch it up at 17-17 but it felt like for the first 3 quarters of this game the patriots offense couldn't figure out what it wanted to do uh, against the the steelers until they figured out that rob gronkowski cannot be defended by pittsburgh what did you see with the patriots but probably it was just the first half gronkowski had an amazing third quarter but what did you see in the first half that the steelers were doing that prevented the patriots from i don't know feeling like they had any control on the offensive side of the ball
0: well, I think they did two things. Uh, one, they finally, finally tried man coverage out after years of incompletely playing zone. Brady shreds zones apart. And he's done that for years. The Steelers have yet to deviate from their kind of zone under scheme that they run, he's always picked that apart. They gave some new looks. They played man coverage. They pressed the receivers. And I think that confused the Patriots for a while. It took them most of the the first half to figure that out. And like you said, they only had three drives to do it. And a lot of times you take time and you figure out what the defense is doing and you adjust accordingly to do your possessions. But if you only have very limited number of possessions, you can't really do that. So I think totally a totally new a defensive wrinkle took the Patriots some time until they realized that Rob Gronkowski, as you said, cannot be covered, especially by like a 5'8 safety. I felt bad for him. Like he was looking over – At the sideline, being like, help me, I can't do this. And they still left him one on one. Nothing you can really do about it. He was a man possessed. And then on the other side of the ball, The Steelers had some amazing drives. Nine minute drives that ended in points, just kept the defense on the field. Third down conversions were a huge problem for the Patriots defensively. So, when the offense only has limited opportunities and you're giving them a new look defensively, it takes a lot longer to adjust. And I think that showed. Luckily, the Patriots got it done when they had to get it done. But I'll be very curious to see should these two teams meet again, if now that there's game tape on that man coverage scheme, the press man the Steelers ran, will the Patriots be able to? To come out swinging uh at this second meeting
1: yeah and it's also important to note that chris hogan should probably be back in that next meeting kenny Britt should figure out what he's doing and as you said i mean the Gronkowski connection they figured that out in the second half the Steelers continued to play man coverage but you know what the Patriots said this is a matchup that we can win and we can continue to win it and with that I mean that means that the Steelers are going to have to dedicate more resources to Gronkowski the next time they play if they do and that should open up other opportunities for Brandon Cooks who quietly 60 yards and a touchdown is not a bad day to sneeze at it should open up some things for him and Chris Hogan always is a monster against the Steelers because he knows how to get open deep down the field and he has a good connection with Brandon 80. so the Steelers can uh, they have already put it on tape but the Patriots solved it within within the first two quarters and so I don't know how much it was there to help them maybe they just don't have the personnel to be able to do that for an entire game and particularly they don't have anyone on that team that can cover Gronkowski one-on-one that's a that's something that they will have to figure out if they they play again but that's a that's a big what if. That that is a long time down the road. That's possibly four games away if they ever are going to do that. So a lot can change over that time. But when you see how the Patriots tried to to move the ball outside of Rob Gronkowski, you're looking at Dion Lewis having thirteen carries, sixty seven yards, and a touchdown averaged five point two per carry. He's been having an outstanding season. But other than uh Lewis and then even Cooks No one else really got going against the Steelers, and even Tom Brady looked like he was making a few questionable decisions. That interception was ugly, he was missing some other open players, he was late on a throw to Jacob Hollister in the end zone. Are there any other parts of the Patriots offense that give you concern moving forward or how they they weren't able to step up when the Patriots needed them most?
0: Yeah, I think actually that, that question all relates back to one thing. I think it's the interior of the offensive line. I think you're seeing the guards and center David Andrews on ISO blocks with some pretty stout defensive linemen tight ends and backs are usually allocated towards chip blocks off of the edge which leaves Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason who's been playing well and, and David Andrews Andrews and Tooney have been struggling recently because they're asked to block one on one and they've been losing a lot of those battles and again beating Tom Brady isn't that hard on paper and that you get pressure up the middle and don't allow him time to step up if you can do that early and consistently he starts hearing footsteps and you can force him off those back throw bad picks that he's known to throw so i hoping that Joe Tooney and David Andrews can get off the schneid a little bit because I think the uh, the tackles Cam Fleming slash Adrian Waddle and Nate Solder had very good games. I think that Dwight Allen was a great blocking tight end. Gronk is the best blocking tight end in the game, and the running backs are good at picking up the blitz and chipping at the line. But those interior of the offensive line guys, they're going to have to have a lot of one-on-one matchups coming forward. Now, the good news is that the Bills and the Jets don't offer the same kind of interior menace that the Steelers and the Dolphins have. But still, you're going to have one-on-ones going forward, and if you can't figure that out, you have to reallocate your backs and maybe your tight ends, maybe James Devlin as a fullback, and that alters the entire run passing scheme. So I'm hoping they can figure the offensive line interior side out, and that will really open up the running game, get the play action going again and allow Tom Brady to get more comfortable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. what we were talking about earlier in this podcast is that the Jaguars are the team that have the defensive line perfectly capable of just beating every single one of those one-on-one matchups on that defensive front that could cause a lot of problems for the Patriots moving forward. Uh, Tom Brady, though, I want to talk about him for a little bit. He has five interceptions over the past four games. He hasn't looked stellar. I mean, he had that incredible, incredible game-winning drive with Rob Ronkowski. Don't get me wrong. But for much of the game, it felt like he was, you know, he, he just wasn't the same as the player he was for the first, you know, 12 games of the season. And there's been some moments over the past few weeks where it's like, Brady, really? What Are, are you hurt? What's going on with this? Why are you not showing the same accuracy? Do you think that leading that game-winning drive just erases all of those those questionable moments over the past, you know, couple of weeks? Or is there any reason where the Patriots need to be concerned? You know, even with their offensive line not giving him enough protection up the middle, is there is there any concern for Brady
0: finishing this year? Yes. Yes, I think he is hurt. I think you put hit him in the head. I think his hand, his right throwing hand, I think his hurt. You see him shaking it, looking at it all the time. He's always got that Achilles injury. No one knows how serious or severe it is. It can't be that bad if he's able to walk on it and play on it. But a, a back foot, plant foot Achilles injury and a throwing hand injury, I don't want to make excuses, but I think that's definitely affecting him. And he's not younger. He's old. He's going to... "Quote unquote, fall off that cliff eventually." I do not buy any of the analyst talk that he's st- suddenly showing his age. I don't think it'll come this rapidly. I think it'll be more of a, a slow decline for for Tom Brady. But I'd be more concerned the fact that the Patriots are not running the ball as much or as well as I'd like them to run it this late in the season. Thirty-five passing attempts for Tom Brady, less than twenty-five rushes, only nineteen carries total between. Actually, that includes two runs for Brady. So it was seventeen runs uh, with Lewis and Burkhead. I'm really hoping that Burkhead's injury means Mike Gillisley gets some reps and he can has these fresh legs. He can keep the ball turning on the ground, take the pressure off of Tom Brady because I don't want him throwing the ball 35, 40, 50 times a game this late in the year, especially that he, I mean, again, I could be wrong, but I think he's hurt and I think he's banged up and he needs some rest. He needs that bye week more than ever. And I don't want to make sure that I don't want to ensure at least that the next two games are entirely on his back as the passing game gets going. I'm hoping they can get the ball running a lot more and keep Tom Brady a lot more
1: yeah and for a while the reason that uh, Brady wasn't the most productive throwing to a lot of his receivers out there he had no problems connecting with Rob Gronkowski out there Rob Gronkowski had nine receptions for a career high 168 yards which is just simply magnificent he made his case for being first team all pro tight end on that last drive where he had three catches for 69 yards he was just Incredible for the past two weeks, I believe he's had like 350 receiving yards that he's in the games that he's played. That's that's uh, sandwiching a, uh, a suspension. So Gronkowski is playing his best football, possibly in his entire career, right now, and that's a that's very fortunate for the Patriots. He's also blocking at an incredibly high level, and so there is plenty of hope for this offense to just kick up another level when the offensive line starts producing or Chris Hogan returns and even Mike Gillisley could add that boost in the run game. There are a lot of players, the skill players, Dion Lewis, Gronkowski and even Brady. I mean, they're, they're all still operating at an incredibly high level. Do you think that any team has an answer for Gronkowski over the the remainder of the, the year?
0: Uh, it's funny. I would love to see the Patriots. This is obviously a 2020 high set, but I'd love to see the Patriots. At Miami with Rob Gronkowski and how that press man offensive defensive line able to get pressure worked against a Patriots offense that has that outlet with Rob Gronkowski because there's a very legitimate chance the Patriots will play the Jaguars at some point in the postseason. And as you mentioned, that defensive line is fierce and that secondary is incredible. So that could be a very tall order in terms of who they have left. Uh, The Bills cannot handle Rob Gronkowski legally. We'll see if there's any kind of repercussions or revenge they're looking to take on him. And the Jets are going to be No, I'm not worried about the Jets either. Uh, The Ravens, of course, are always scaring me. I don't want to talk about postseason yet because there's still some business to take care of in the regular season. But in terms of the rest of the year, the Patriots playing the Bills, the Patriots playing the Dolphins, both of which at home. Gronk should have an absolute field day. The real question is, can he stay healthy? Because that's always a concern.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I would actually put my money on Gronkowski finishing the season at an incredibly high level. He has what another couple million dollars on the line with his top-tier incentive. He needs... Roughly like 183 more receiving yards to get there, I believe, or he needs to get first-team all-pro, or was it like 14 touchdowns or something like that, but he, that's not going to happen. That would be nuts if that happened, but Gronkowski is hunting that top-tier incentive. He has all the reason in the world to to continue to play at such an incredible level. I don't think that he can be stopped, but speaking of other players that can't be stopped, I think it's important to look at the other side of the ball. Because the New England Patriots had no answer for running back Le'Veon Bell, even after Antonio Brown went out with a lower calf injury after just 21 snaps. I believe it was at the very first couple of plays of that second quarter. Brown was out, so Bell was clearly the, the top focal point of that Pittsburgh offense. But he rushed for 117 yards and a touchdown and caught five passes for 48 yards. Patriots didn't know what to do with him. Alec, what did you see... That gave the Patriots the biggest problem handling Bell.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Rich. Let me answer that question. from Another question: uh, Which player on the Steelers' offense did they have an answer for?
1: That is a that is a good one. Um, ben Roethlisberger, maybe. I mean, to be quite honest, that that'd be my best uh, my best guess. But no, really, they, they just couldn't figure out the, the Steelers. They, I believe that they didn't get a three and out until their very last drive. They didn't force them to punt until towards the end of the game after you know their opening drive, three and out. So the Steelers had no problem marching up and down the field the entire day. They had an 8-minute and 39-second drive to drain the majority of the clock in the second quarter, and then they had another 7-minute, 24-second drive at the start of the fourth quarter, I mean, that's an entire quarter's worth of play where actually they only got seven points out of it. So that that's what the, the Steelers were hoping to do. They were hoping to control the clock, keep Tom Brady off, make sure that Brady didn't get as many opportunities against the Steelers' offense to put up points, and that was what they were hoping could they could do to, to win the game. But as you said, I don't think that the Patriots had a great answer to anyone on the Steelers' offense.
0: And also, I feel like you mentioned Le'Veon Bell, we should stay on him for a while. I feel like, again, I don't have the, the exact breakdown in terms of stats of, of where he ran and how he ran, but I feel like his up-the-middle runs were not that successful three maybe four yards at a clip at most but every time they did a toss or a sweep first down first down first down they cannot set the edge right now I don't know why that is it seems to me ever since Cassius Marsh went away because he couldn't set the edge they didn't really find a replacement for him and it happened last week with, with with Drake it seems that running backs who are quick around the corner can absolutely eat this defense alive and Unless you convince me otherwise right now, Rich, I just don't personally believe that the return of Kyle Van Noy will suddenly mean that the Patriots will not give up first downs on running toss plays and sweeps. So please convince me that Kyle Van Noy is this magical savior that will (laughs) save this running defense.
1: Well, okay, so first off, based off the numbers, what you said is exactly true. Le'Veon Bell, 44 rushing yards on four carries around the end both left and right side so that's 11 yards per carry on running plays towards the edge and it's exactly what you said cassius marsh was not there on the edge and that is actually what Kyle Van Noy brings to this defense I believe that Kyle Van Noy he isn't the best player on that defense but he's far better than the other players that they have going out there Eric Lee is dealing with an injury and then the Steelers decided they would just run against him the entire time Trevor Riley is not that great of a player in the scheme of things he's a good role player but Kyle Van Noy is a great every down player for the Patriots because you can trust him in that Rob Ninkovich kind of way to to do exactly what you need him to do on the edge he's not going to be a game changer in the sense that he's gonna get you know three sacks and a force a fumble or anything like that but I feel pretty confident saying that if Kyle Van Noy were out there Bell would not be averaging 11 yards per carry around the edge but more than just that I have to say whose idea was it to have Trey Flowers covering Le'Veon Bell (laughs) it felt like every single third down Le'Veon Bell is getting one-on-one against Trey Flowers and it worked every time in the Pittsburgh Steelers favor so I just don't know what the Patriots were planning on doing without having Kyle Van Noy out there it just I think that Van Noy would fix a lot of what went wrong on Sunday
0: here's hoping man because I'm looking at this roster Alan Branch was out which is a middle run stuffer but the Steelers, basically 10 of 16 on third down. I feel like Stephon Gilmore had an up-and-down day. A couple of great pass breakups, but he also got smoked a couple times for deep routes. The secondary couldn't cover forever. We talked about it in our pregame show. If the Patriots can't get a pass rush, which they couldn't do, Brent Osberg is going to find open guys, which he did. So you can't really blame the secondary too much. They can't cover forever. But still, I feel like yards after contact was big, yards after the catch was big, there's just no real sense of, of defensive solidarity at any point. I, I'd love to be wrong on this one and say like Kyle Vannoy, the return of him, will, will really open things up, and that would be fine with me because Alandon Landon Roberts and David Harris. My boy David Harris did not have the best game, maybe like two good run stuff, but he was really outplayed in coverage. And to your point about Trey Flowers and Le'Veon Bell, I have no clue why they did that. My only guess is that they were basically allocating resources elsewhere, and that was the the best matchup. They had Patrick Chung on the the tight ends, they had Malcolm Butler and and Stefan Gilmore on Martavius Bryant and, and Juju. And so maybe they only had enough bodies to, to cover so many guys and, and Trey Flowers was stuck with the unenviable job of covering one of the better receiving backs in the league. Worked so well and I hate to break it to you, but here comes Shady McCoy coming down the pipeline, one of the best receiving backs in the in the league as well. I'm sure they're going to watch the game tape of this, this week, and they're going to be licking their chops for this, this running defense and this kind of weak, weak pass coverage.
1: Yeah, and what the Steelers wanted to accomplish, we talked a little bit about their long, extended drives to keep the ball away from Tom Brady. A big part of it was Le'Veon Bell being out there, gaining five yards per carry on first down, getting another three or four yards on second down, and setting up very favorable third down opportunities. And I believe what, the, the Steelers had 15 third-down plays, and they converted like 11 of them or 10 of them. It was something really incredible like that. And it was because the majority of those third-down opportunities came on third and fourth or sh- third and four or shorter. So they had very, very favorable situations out there. And it was because they just decided, you know what, let's have a slow methodical drive. We believe that we can pick up those four, three yards whenever we need to at that point because the Patriots, as you said, they don't have Allen Branch in the middle. They don't have Kyle Van Noy on the edge. So they could feel pretty confident that they're going to win their matchups because they have a very good interior with Pouncey and DeCastro. So the Steelers were very comfortable just having those low-grinding plays. And that's part of the reason why the game went by so quickly, and it's part of the reason why they led such extended drives, is because they just ran the ball. And if you actually look at it, I mean, how many passing yards did Ben Roethlisberger have before that final just busted 69-yard play by Juju Smith-Schuster? And then, the what, four yards to Hayward Bay? So I, I think that Ben Roethlisberger, up until that very last drive, had barely more than 200 passing yards over the entire game. And so it was Bell that was doing it, and they were doing it with all very, very short passes, with short runs. And I believe they only completed one pass that was more than 15 yards down the field. Everything else was just after the catch, and that's another part where I think Van Noy would help the Patriots is their tackling at that second level. Because Alandon Roberts think that he has a lot of talent he just does a really bad job of just maintaining the gap integrity he runs past the play so often and Kyle Van Noy would not do that and it's the just the fact that the Steelers were able to break the first two tackles and that's not something that New England can allow to happen moving forward
0: you know if you mentioned that that Juju Smith Schuster play that went for 69 yards that was a just a shallow cross That I don't think anybody anticipated being a a big gain that the Patriots just botched on all levels. However, that shallow cross, the Patriots couldn't stop that at all against the Steelers. They couldn't stop that at all against the Dolphins. That shallow cross basically is the reason they lost last week and almost lost this week. Is that another thing that Kyle Van Noy will magically fix in addition to the run defense, the edge setting, the coverage of, of the running backs? Are, those, are these all things that can fix with Kyle Van Noy, or are these shallow crosses due to linebacker depth going to be an issue?
1: Yeah, that's actually a very fair point. It, it could be something that Van Noy could fix, but I, I do think that's more on the cornerbacks. That was Eric Rowe deciding to go in front of the pick instead of behind it, and it caused him to go a step behind as opposed to stopping it just three four yards down the field so that that's a coaching decision that needs to be addressed you know Eric Rowe should not have have covered him that way I, I wouldn't pin that on the linebackers but as you said Tony Romo during the broadcast was talking time and time again about how the Patriots did look susceptible on these low crossers and he's like this is how you beat the Patriots defense is by having these legal pick plays within one yard of the line of scrimmage as opposed to running these crossers you know three four yards down the field Use that one-yard window to your advantage and create that contact to create that space. And so teams are absolutely going to do that moving forward. Few teams have the receiver depth that the Steelers do. And when it comes to the postseason, they probably won't see that with a different team other than the Steelers. But that's definitely something that the Patriots need to address. But that, that's more of a coaching thing for the entire defense to, to step up and fix as opposed to just point at, at one individual player.
0: All right. That makes me feel better because, again, that's just two weeks in a row. These little slants, these little in cuts have just eaten the Patriots alive. I don't know what the answer is. I'm sure Matt Patricia does. The Patriots rarely get burned twice in a row like that with the same play, so I'm hoping it's going to be an injury thing, um, and we'll have to just kind of see because I feel like the Bills don't have the deep threat ability with their receivers. Kelvin Benjamin will be back, but it's going to be a lot of the kind of death by a 1,000 cuts if they're going to pull off an upset in Foxborough this coming Sunday. Rich, we've been on. This conversation for almost half an hour and we have yet to talk about the one topic that has completely overshadowed the best game of the year which i think is pretty impressive so kudos to us for actually talking about the game <laughs> as opposed to the catch rule may as well get it out of the way close out with this or almost close out with this jesse james catches the ball goes to the end zone kind of bobbles it kind of hits the ground Not a touchdown, not a catch. What are your thoughts on that play and the rule as it's written?
1: In my completely unbiased approach, I believe that that was the perfect call. It was the perfect analysis. The rule was applied (laughs) perfectly, and there was nothing incorrect about anything that took place during that call. Um, I mean, I I give the officials is this like the lowest, faintest praise possible. At least they're (laughs) partially consistent where this was exactly what happened with Des Bryant in that famous what is the catch rule kind of play where I mean it was a catch if we're being serious here it was a catch his his trying to reach the ball over the goal line would be considered a football move by like most other positions on the field but the fact that it was by the goal line it just doesn't count but they did get a good angle of it where the ball clearly did it hit the ground and so by the letter of the rule that he didn't get the catch in the first place. You know, he, he just didn't complete the catch motion because the ball hit the ground, it spun out of his hands, he just lost control, and that's the end of it. So by the letter of a really ridiculous rule, they got it right, and the Patriots lived to, to fight another day because of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the general consensus across the league and elsewhere is the refs got it right. It was the correct call. They can't really knock. It wasn't like a bad call by the referees. The people that are upset think it's a stupid rule. It's a ridiculous rule. It's changed the complexion of seasons, of playoff runs. There, You can point to a couple of situations where just a, a catch that, should, that would be a catch pretty much everywhere else but in the National Football League was overturned for whatever reason. They got it right, and the problem is I, I just feel like – this rule as it is, just doesn't make any sense what we're doing is we are taking common sense out of football and we're debating really minute areas that should be pretty obvious and what we're also doing is we're allowing replay and high definition and multiple angles to kind of remove the human element of professional sports is kind of perverting football and what really blows my mind about this is not this new to this jesse james catch but it definitely applies in this, this scenario i feel like the on the field call doesn't really carry any weight anymore. Refs get it wrong all the time it seems or they'll call it on the field and you see the replay and there's nothing that even remotely resembles conclusive, <laughs> incontrovertible evidence to the contrary but they'll overturn it anyway and it just seems like it's slowing the game down. It's making a lot of questions mark qu- giving a lot of question marks and and the conversations fans and analysts are having after a game like this are about regulations language wording and not actual football and that is horrible for the sport
1: yeah well whenever i watched football i knew that what was really missing was more legalese in my opinion that's (laughs) that's all i really wanted you know it's it really takes it up uh, another level of the snooze factor um yeah yeah i mean there this is a rule that has gone in the Patriots' favor, so you can expect it to be changed during the next committee meeting this yep. March. They will finally change the wording to... I don't even know what they're going to do. They, there's gonna, they're going to change it to something else, and then there's going to be another loophole scenario in around week six or seven of the season. Everyone's still going to complain about it because it's not going to ever be a perfect rule because exactly the reasons you said. There is high-definition replay where the slightest anything... can can make the ball go one direction or another. They are not giving the the appropriate, I guess, deference to the original call on the field, so they'll change it however they feel, and that leads to more inconsistencies. So it's just not something that's going to work. I, I think that the rule that they have right now isn't perfect, but any other rule that they're going to change to, I know for a fact is just not going to be perfect either. So whatever happens will happen in this particular instance it went in the Patriots favor it could very well go against them at some point in the postseason but for right now Patriots are 11 and three the first seed in the in the in the conference they have the driver's seat they're going to play the Buffalo Bills next week at home and then they get another game at home against the New York Jets to close out the season Alec how are you feeling about next week's game against the Bills
0: I am inexplicably terrified of the Buffalo Bills for some reason. This is at Gillette. The Patriots do not lose to the Bills at home, but I feel like they got a couple of bounces last week or this, this yesterday's game. The Bills have a lot to play for. They are right in the thick of that six seed. They basically have to win out to have any legitimate shot at the postseason. They can technically squeak in at eight 8-8, eight, but they need a lot of things to fall their way. They are still upset over the Gronkowski hit a couple weeks ago. They played a tough Miami team that the Patriots got more or less smoked by. They dominated them. The Bills are playing a good, good, good style of football right now. And if you look at the way the Le'Veon Bell ate this team alive, you now have Le'Veon Bell, excuse me, now have LaShawn McCoy combined with a mobile quarterback and Tyrod Taylor. You know, I'm not, you know, going to be calling a Bills win anytime soon, but I do not think the Patriots have this kind of cakewalk to close out the year. The Steelers have two very winnable games in Houston and Cleveland. The Jaguars have two very winnable games in San Francisco and Tennessee. So the Patriots have to keep their foot on the gas and not, under any circumstances, overestimate or underestimate this Bills team.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that the Patriots actually got some pretty good preparation against Steelers of what it will be like having to face this Bills team because the Bills offense, as we saw just a few weeks ago, is LaShawn McCoy and pretty much no one else. You know, McCoy has a 1,407 yards from scrimmage this year no other player has over 504 buffalo and that just means that mccoy is the entire engine of the offense the patriots are going to dedicate all of their resources to stopping him they may or may not have too much success doing that but it it really simplifies what the patriots at least have to to plan on accomplishing and so hopefully kyle van noy will make his return after missing the past few weeks with his calf injury hopefully alan branch is able to return because the Patriots defensive front seven really needs to step up and hopefully if the the Patriots just need to take care of business because they're not going to get any help from anyone else in the AFC in order to get that home field advantage because the Pittsburgh Steelers finish out the season with I believe the uh the Houston Texans and then the Cleveland Browns and then the Jaguars as we talked about have uh, a game against the San Francisco 49ers and then the Tennessee Titans so Patriots, with games against the Bills and the Jets, I would have to say New England probably has the most difficult road of those three teams, and so the Patriots have to win out in order to to stay ahead of the competition in the conference.
0: They do. Do you think that Tyrod Taylor, if it's third and goal at the 10-yard line, will go for a, sp- a fake spike that only one player knows is coming? Yeah, right?
1: Uh, I don't think that Tyrod Taylor, he would just run it in, to be quite honest. Probably. Yeah, so, damn that, it, that's ma- true. That makes it a little bit easier. But we'll get a lot of information in the upcoming week of what players the Patriots will have available for this game, what the Bills are planning on doing, and all other information regarding the Patriots-Steelers game on patspulpit.com. Before we sign off, Alec, do you have any final thoughts?
0: Yeah, one final thought. Patriots Nation, I'd buckle up if I was you. I have a feeling that this is the time of year where the games aren't going to come easy, and almost every game we play from here on out is going to have a very similar feel experience so get your heart medication and the defibrillators ready
1: <laughs> yeah this is going to be a very interesting finish to the season it should be pretty exciting in both conferences this is exactly what the nfl wanted when they scheduled a bunch of conf- or division games to close out the year so until next time alec you have a good one
0: see you buddy Later.